Welcome to episode 13 of the weekly general meeting podcast. Each week we present emerging and established artists and entertainers that we love and reckon you might end up loving too. I'm one of your hosts, Neil Conlon, and this is your other one, Shane Langan. Hello. On the show this week, poet Aaron Fornoff tells us just what the opposite of a thank you is, comedian Kevin McGaharin does his bit to drive down unemployment, and Calla Ryan gives us his top five tips. Support for this week's show comes from Independence Music and Arts Festival, taking place in Mitchellstown, County Cork, August 1st to 3rd. There's less than a month to get your tickets and they are selling fast. Visit tickets.ie for one day or weekend camping tickets. Featured artists include Public Enemy, Damien Dempsey and Tom O'Dell, as well as WGM favourites, Weeka Corners and Hozier. Visit independencefestival.com for full details. Our first guest this week isn't really a guest. He's my co-host. Shane has been reading his John Garrison adventures at our live nights since the very beginning. And this time, he tells us how the John Garrison legend was born. Um, this, uh, this one is, uh, this one, uh, is uh, I started to get to think, we all know about you know, the adventures that John Garrison has gone through um, you know, over the years, but we've never sort of known how he sort of became the man um, that he uh, is today. So I thought I'd do uh, an origin story, and uh, it's called John Garrison Assemble. Thank you. (laughs) You insert this end into the target's mouth. Turn this knob here, not once, not twice, but three times. Make sure this dial here is reading 1203. Please be precise about this. The smallest deviation would be catastrophic. You press this button here, not this button, this button. You should stand back once this button is pressed. At this point, the target's calf muscles will inflate to the size of an ordinary household microwave oven. They should also weigh about the same too, give or take. The target will find it virtually impossible to run or even walk briskly. This should give you ample time to shoot him in the face with your big gun. Now, I know this may seem needlessly complicated, but you see, am I boring you, Garrison? Huh? Are you even listening? Garrison was miles away. No one knew it, but today was the anniversary of something very meaningful to him. The day he lost some people very dear to him. The day he became John Garrison. Thanks for taking me to see cats, said a delighted nine-year-old John Garrison as they walked out of the theatre and into the late night air. You're very welcome, son, smiled his dad, Jonathan. Come on, boys, I know a shortcut, chirped his other dad, Philip. Tragically, it was to be the last scary alleyway they would ever walk down as a family. Excuse me, sirs, just come from the show. A menacing figure emerged from the shadows. Would you like to buy a cat? Souvenir of your night? The stranger held up a sack full of writhing cats. Um, no thank you stuttered Philip nervously. The menacing stranger grinned a milky yellow smile as he produced a pistol. Oh, God, no, pleaded Philip. This isn't because you're a gay couple, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) This is entirely indiscriminate. And he pulled the trigger twice. The stranger sarcastically doffed his hat to the little boy and disappeared into the shadows, leaving Garrison sobbing over the corpses of his two dads, who were now completely dead. Garrison stood up. His eyes narrowed and he dried his tears. Crying wasn't going to do anything for him now. 
In that moment, he resolved to dedicate his life to fighting crime and keeping scum like the menacing stranger off the streets. He knew in that moment that this incident would change him forever. Plus, he got bitten by one of the cats who turned out to be radioactive, so <laughs> there's that too. From that day forward, he became John Garrison. I mean, his name was already John Garrison, but you know what I mean. Thank you. That was Shane Langan with John Garrison Assemble. You can read more of Shane's ramblings on his blog, notalsobutonly.wordpress.com. Our next guest, Aaron Fornoff, is originally from North Carolina, but has been living, working, and performing poetry in Dublin for a few years now. If you're an aspiring poet, your career path is not really laid out clearly in front of you. It's often mysterious how or why some artists succeed and some don't. All you can do is work as hard as you can and keep your eyes peeled for that break. In darker moments, it can seem hopeless and desperate. Aaron's poem is about a time when someone who should have known better tried to exploit that. Um, so I've, I wrote, I have a really angry one for you guys. It's my angriest. Uh, but I had a, I had a mentor uh, who was a writer and a performer, and he's very well known in Dublin and Ireland and so on. Um, uh, and he's about in his 70s and so on. But anyway, this is, a, this is pretty much just a transcribed poetic version of our, our last conversation. And it's called The Opposite of a Thank You. He sits across the diner table, says, I find you hard to read, he says. Sometimes I think you'd love me, and then you don't seem interested. He tells me he's been vexed by my mixed messages. He tells me how he loves sex with women. What does your wife think of him? I stutter. Oh, she doesn't like it much, he mutters, but I'm a natural flirt, and if I'm doing the dirt, she knows I just love when two people meet, says the man with grandkids past their first kiss. I can be very discreet. Then he leans in all serious and insistent, says, I've got a lot of contacts in the literary world, but I don't help people who are distant. Oh, no, he didn't. But he did, and God forbid that stinger in this chat. He's got a cautionary about a contender who got wary and went elsewhere. What a pity, couldn't help her. Of course, you've never heard of her. And now he's here to sort me out. So Aaron, give us a shout whenever you're ready. And I'm already unsteady when he goes like this. Oh, the responses clog in my throat as he sits across me with his soggy sandwich and takes my silence for consideration. And my deliberation was, do I sprint and leave the bill or calmly spill my soda down his head? But I couldn't meet his eyes instead. Now I sit across him with my head bowed and my shoulders risen. And on the scale of one to criminal, I guess it's on the minor end. But then I wonder if he likes my discomfort, if he's gotten any converts, how frequently has all this worked? And then 
I wonder why I can walk the why I can talk the talk until I actually need to say shit. Why I can walk the walk only in retrospect. Why I can populate my mind with a hundred perfect lines only when the moment's passed. And as the waiter asked who's paying, I sit quiet in the din of a great disheartening. And in the face of his gaze and all the things I don't say, I still worry about how mad I'm gonna make him for reciting his lines out here verbatim, and that is the most disheartening thing of all. So if I seem freaked, if he takes my quietness for weakness, it's just that I'm distinctly fatigued by this tired casting couch cliche as he sits across from me in that hipster Dublin cafe to say that the keys to the kingdom are down his jeans. So this is the opposite of a thank you letter. It's a manifesto for better, that we can be through with all these sordid things, can lift each other up without any strings, that we can be more than where we've come from with men with power and women with none. So I'll speak after the fact and hope that I'm heard because all I have is words and he's got a lot of contacts in the literary world. Thank you. That was Erin Fornoff. Go to erinfornoff.wordpress.com to read more of her work. The aim of this podcast is primarily to entertain, but we also like to think that now and again, we get the opportunity to inspire people. So very much with that in mind, I introduce to you entrepreneur and motivational speaker, Bill Cullen. How are you all doing? Hello, young people. How are you all doing? God, it's, it's great to be here in this uh, coloured shed. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I can see why Mr. Walsh invited me here. Uh, you all look uh, positively unemployable. Uh, so I'm going to help you out, give you a little bit of advice on how to get a job in, in, in a jobless country. All right? And I'm going to be reading a little bit from my, from my book and sort of some, some blind marketing. Um, so, right. Uh, hello, young people. You may remember me from Bill Cullen's The Apprentice, the writer of Bill Cullen's Penny Apples. It's me, Bill Cullen. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous. It's, it's nice to be here. It's a, it's a great little spot you have. You're uh, squatting here. Um, I heard it's been bought. Fair play. Hopefully it'll... It's a little bit exclusive. I can't imagine bringing a couple of accountants in here, you know. Uh, maybe uh, they'll turn into something that everyone can enjoy, like a, like a car park. Right, uh, I'm here tonight on behalf of a secret organization um, to help a few of you Declan and Deirdre Dolkews, <laughs> little lighthearted term there, uh, to, to get back on the workforce. Um, you know, I've written a book that will guarantee you a new job and a better attitude to life. It's called Having a Laugh, and it's a helpful guide to finding a job in a struggling economy by Bill Cullen. Uh, sort of lighthearted title as well. Uh, it's a picture of me. Uh, my face in a barrel of apples on the cover. Um, yes, by following some simple guidelines and advice, you will get the confidence you need to get off your hole and off the dole. In a, it's a collection of tips, inspiring stories, heartfelt sad tales, and two funny stories, um, both of which involve Packy Bronner and a deaf woman. Um, 
When I started selling apples in Mars Street, I was the youngest computer salesman in all of Dublin. <laughs> I went down to the computer man who ran the stall and I says, give us a job. He said, no way, you're only four. I said, okay. What if I work for free for 23 years? Then if you like me style, you pay me back in one big go. He agreed. And 23 years later, I made my first million. <laughs> Full of little tidbits like that. Uh, now, looking around the room, I, uh, I know a lot of you dope-smoking layabouts are practically allergic to any kind of job that's not either hand or blow, but if you buy my book, you'll manage to drag yourself out of your sex fluid encrusted bed before noon and get yourself a job. Uh, this chapter 23 of the book is very helpful. Um, it's just a list of jobs that I could think of. Uh, give you some examples. Carpenter. There's one. Uh, fireman. Uh, the man who wrote Jurassic Park, that's a job. Elvis, candlestick maker. A job in RTE, make a program, they'll put it on. <laughs> Simple stuff like that. Um, yeah, like I mean, a lot of people, I know a lot of you young folks are giving out about uh, stuff like Jobsbridge. Um, but uh, to be honest, some of the greatest cultures were founded on, on f funds like, f schemes like Jobsbridge. Like, without Jobsbridge, you wouldn't have the pyramids of Egypt. You wouldn't have uh, iPhones or, or blues music. Um, so if, you, if you'd like, I'd like to read a little chapter from my book. Right, uh, this is probably my favorite chapter. Chapter two, the womb. <laughs> my time in the womb was no picnic. I would get up at six every morning and clean the place up a bit, do a few jobs, tidy up the placenta, that sort of thing. I knew I'd have to keep busy or I'd just go mad. Plus, I wanted to pull my own weight in the womb. Not like young people today who spend their time in the womb pricking around and sleeping. Not me. I didn't know my father for the first nine months of my life. Didn't know the man's name. When he finally bothered to... <laughs> when he finally bothered his hole to show up to me, Bort, the damage was done. I never forgave him until a few years later when he bought me an ice cream. Sensitive... Sensitive stuff, folks. Chapter five. Youth is wasted on the young. I'm sick of young people saying today there's no jobs. I've a job. My wife has a job. My friend Ted has a job. My milkman, he has a job. He delivers me milk. The young fella who runs the butchers, he's got a nice little job for himself. If you don't have a job, you should go out and make a job. Who dies the liffy every St. Paddy's Day? Find out how much he's charging and undercut him. Start a dinosaur magazine <laughs> with a free skeleton piece each week. I spent over 400 quid in dinosaur magazines last year and I don't have the time to build them. I'm too busy with my own job. <laughs> the young people today in Ireland are scared and I feel their fear. Their jobs have been replaced by mechanically controlled robots, building cars, assembling computer chips. I just want to say, you have nothing to be worried about unless they figure out how to draw the doll. Bit of a joke. But seriously, robots are the future. There are literally loads of ways you can make a bit of money in this country. I'll give you a few examples. I was making soup for everyone in Dublin airport during a very heavy snowstorm one year, but I'd run out of ingredients. So I put a set of keys into the bottom of the cauldron and I said, we're going to have key soup, everybody. Does any of have any vegetables? And they all ran off and got the ingredients and by the time they came back, I'd fucked off with the pot.
Oh. Chapter 14, the way I see it. People look up to me like I'm some sort of magic god. But the truth is, I'm just like you or me. I have me trousers sewn onto me leg at one leg at a time by a team of Italian stylists every morning. But I wasn't born with this old head and young shoulders. That'd be horrible looking. <laughs> if my mother gave birth to a baby with this head, my parents would have no doubt have placed me in a little basket on the River Liffey like an infant Moses adrift on the Nile, where I would have instinctively swept the raft towards England where there was more jobs. <laughs> Tip number four. Always prepare for failure. I once invested in the film My Left Foot, starring Dublin's own Daniel Day-Lewis. I said, Daniel, I can't understand a bloody word you're saying. And I pulled all my money out. I was as surprised as any when it turned out to be a success. But that's Daniel for you. When I visited Kenya in the late 80s, I noticed the plight of the West African elephant who was being hunted for his rich and lustrous tusks. I killed about seven of them, paid for me flights there and back, and my wife's knee. Well, we're near on the end of it. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah, I passed around a, a sheet earlier on to ask if any has had any questions. How much time have I got there, Mr. Walsh? All right. Um, oh, yeah, I got a list of questions that I passed around, and hopefully somebody has uh, written them up. So thanks very much to the ones who did. Um, first question, where do I get my ideas from? That was from Paul. Thank you very much, Paul. Well, I'll give you an example, Paul. Two enterprising young Turks about town darkened my doorstep with a proposition. A business that would go from pub to cafe, from restaurant, de-wobbling tables and chairs. I said, lads, these are dreaming. I called the cops and had them banged up for six years for trespassing. <laughs> While they were in the clink, I put their idea into action. And it turned out to not be such a terrible idea after all. In fact, it was very profitable. Which just goes to show you, ideas can come from anywhere, Paul. Some of my best ideas come to me while people are actually pitching that same idea. Now, a question from Grania. What plans do you have for the future? Thank you, Grania, for your lovely question. You've probably heard I'm off to space next year in the jewel of the Uzbekistan space crown, the shuttle Apollo 13 II. I'm having a bit of a space race with a billionaire from Russia to see which one of us can blast off into space first. <laughs> Turns out we're both going to be on the same flight. Uh, I think I can still win, though, as I've already called shotgun, so that's not too bad. Um, Neil has asked, are you worried about the Chinese? <laughs> I'm not sure if you mean the country or the race of people, Neil, but the answer is yes to both. <laughs> Although I have recently dipped my toe into the electronics pool, which reminds me, don't bring electronics into a pool, uh, they'll get wet and break. <laughs> a pure waste. Well, I think I was going to sing a little song, but uh, I, nah. I think it's important. I was listening to the Ham Salad Boys earlier on, and it's nice leaving on the way song. So uh, can, can we play that little, that little ditty I've prepared there on the, on the tape? This is from my favorite musical, um, The Sound of, of Music. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be singing the, the, the infamous song, So Long, Farewell, Auf Wiedersehen, Good Luck. I'll be playing all the parts. There's a sad sort of clanging from the clock in the hall And the bells in the steeple too And up in the nursery an absurd little board Is setting out to say QQ QQ Regretfully they tell us But firmly they compel us To say goodnight 
So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, good night. I have to go and leave this pretty sight. Next character. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, adieu, adieus to yous, and yous and yous and yous. Smaller child coming up next. Four more to go. So long, farewell, Elfeder saying goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Now it's just a little child left, so she's very small. She's just on the steps. I'm sad to go to bed, but I must die. Ah, I'll say a really nice goodbye. Good boy, good boys, good boy, good boy, good boy. Boy, my book, having a laugh. A simple guy to have, finding a job and a jobless opportunities. Good luck, folks. We'll talk to you. That, of course, wasn't Bill Cullen. That was comedian Kevin McGarren. Kevin is the host of RT2's Republic of Telly, which will be back in the autumn. In the meantime, you can catch Kevin at the Vodafone Comedy Festival and Electric Picnic. Our final guest is a good friend of the show. Callow Ryan is an award-winning poet and the host of the Brown Bread Mixtape Live Nights and Podcast. Neil caught up with him recently to get his top five tips. But before we get to that chat, here's Calais in action. Okay. The secret diary of utility football player John O'Shea. If you don't know who he is, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm from Waterford, so I'm allowed to do this in an authentic Waterford accent as well. Here we go. July 12th. I am home in Waterford for a few days. I get nostalgic thinking about all of the great people who've come from Waterford over the years. There's Val Dunican, who sang about jumpers. There's Billy Crystal, who found a Waterford Crystal. There's Gilbert O'Sullivan, whose hair is like Brillo pads. There's Sean Kelly off of the bikes. And the so-called magician, Keith Barry. And me, John O'Shea, football person. And also Edmund Rice, who founded the Christian Brothers, who founded the beating the shit out of kids in schools. <laughs> July 23rd. I'm going to start a band. Here are my names for band names. The Offside Trap, Flowery Blah, Surprising Patio Attack, the reigning champion of the world at the moment, like right now, Dow Jones and the Industrial Averages, Jar of Crows. I need to rethink these band names. August 3rd, I had a dream last night that I was ordering a bread roll with some lunch and sausage on it. It's delicious. I think I will order it today in my real life now. <laughs> August 23rd. Water tastes crispy and cool. August 31st. <laughs> I head over to Drum Cliff and I check out Yates' grave. Cast a cold eye on life on death. Horseman pass by. Then I go into the cafe in the gas centre and I cast a cold eye on the banoffee pie, which is only gorgeous. 
September 1st. I just realized I don't like grapefruit and I'm not a big fan of women with loads of makeup and I can't stand astrologists or terrorists and I don't really like any of them things. <laughs> September, September 23rd. I was being philosophical the other day and I thought of these things. Think about them yourself. In life, who would make your starting 11? Do you always play the whistle? And how many substitutions do you think we should make? Do you have an away kit? And one final thought on that is if, are you the gaffer at home? September 28th. I think I might have a cough. September 29th. I realized today that I really like a hot shower and conversations and eyesight and the taste of premiership success. <laughs> I really like all of them things, and at the end of the day, I also like this diary. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So five things. So I think um, all, my, all my things are going to be like, be this. So plan B, I guess is what you could call it, um, if you don't have a plan B as an artist. So be a lunatic is my first bit of advice or my first thing um, and what I mean by that is um, shoot for the moon all the time so don't just say I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna write a poem or I'm gonna do a gig or whatever do the maddest gig you could possibly imagine or do something that nobody's ever done before as a gig because there's nobody else competing in that space and so what I what I mean by being a lunatic is like pick that crazy version of what it is you want to do and i know that sounds kind of hard to define but like pick that crazy version so like my thing was like the variety arts show kind of thing that we do which is what you do at the weekly general meeting there's a lot of nights that do a bit of music a bit of poetry a bit of comedy and it's amazing and it's amazing that that's actually become kind of a standard form i mean it probably was obviously if you think about the variety english kind of shows that would have been back in the day but um my idea was like I wanted to take all the bits of things that I'd liked when I lived in New York where it was like themed things like the moth which is the storytelling stuff or um, or like this American life where they're going to pick a kind of a, a theme or, a, or, a, or an area that they explore. So take that, put it in, then say I like spoken word and that's what I love and I really I feel energised and inspired by that, put that in the mix. Uh, Enda, who does the show with me, uh, said, I love music, let's put music in the mix. We know lots of people who are talented at that. Let's throw that all in the mix, make it themed, put some comedy in the middle of it, because I'm a huge comedy fan. I'd always written lots of sketch comedy. I was like, let me find brilliant people who, do, who can act, um, not just comedians, actually really good actors, get them on a mic, put all that together, and that becomes the mad thing. So it was like... I'm not saying I'm, uh, I, I, it was trying to be just an interesting different shot at something, you know, and I think, so for, for the show, and I should explain, I guess, for, for your listeners, the Brown Brown Mixtape is this monthly show where we, we stick a theme around it and, and I ask different artists of different disciplines to come in and essentially dance around that theme in whatever abstract or direct way that they want. And that's really worked for us. And we've been doing that for five years and we have a, a loyal following of people who come to it. So... And it's that kind of thing. I know some of the other interviews you've had where they sort of, sort of dance to the beat of your own drum and that is what we did and we believed it and it's, it's worked. So I think being a lunatic in whatever way you want to take that shape or form, it's like take that shot, <clears throat> take that shot at going to the moon um, with whatever you decide to do, you know. 
um, that's great. And part of that, I think, is just being a doer, you know. And that's all. And I mean, any artist who loves what they do and believes in what they do will tell you that. Be a doer, you know. Get on with it. Be the owner. Be the be be the person who drives it. And um, and that's common sense, I guess. But like, uh, not to sound cliche, but it's not like common practice. Do you know what I mean? I think. You hear it all the time, but then, and, and you know yourself, you listen to an interview with somebody you really admire, you really respect, and you go, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. And then you don't actually do it, you know? Um, so <clears throat> I think just be a doer and and just get on with it and, and, and surround yourself with people who say, why not, instead of why, you know? It's yeah. the people who question you all the time. Better to have the people go, that's a brilliant idea, absolutely. And even if, and, and ideally, that that, prob- that pro- person is probably a lunatic as well, and that's that's the right lunatic to be hanging out with. You know what I mean? Because they're the ones who will go with you. Uh, so yeah, uh, why not? And be a doer and be a lunatic. So that's my first one. I think that's my first thing. Um, then the second thing I was thinking was around, and this is something I really believe, just from not just the Bramber mixtape that we've done, but even performing as a as a as a poet um in a live setting and and you'll probably appreciate this is like the feeling of inclusion so be inclusive and be be connected to that audience and i don't mean that in the kind of enough like you know connect with your audience i mean like so for example at, at the Bremer mixtape like i actually don't see a divide between the performer and the and the the audience like i actually see it as all one big thing that we're doing and like the very best front men of a band like the likes of glenn hansard is a magician at pulling a crowd onto his side and i think uh, like when a show goes at its best be it poetry or music or any of those art forms that experience of feeling included is the most ex- incredible experience because you feel like you you are the art you know what i mean like it's not for weird as that sounds like that moment of going so like our, our shows it's, it's 100 people maybe a month and you know we're not we're not selling out the radio city music hall but we are having in for for a few hours every month there's a load of people in that room and we're all having a brilliant time together and we're walking out going I, that was good i had a good time i felt connected to those people in that room and there was energy and and i felt included and um to, to that, that there's something like even there's a kind of a punk ethos there as well where you like stick the mic out in the middle of the room and go for it you know and, and everybody rock around you know and no, nobody's kind of special and if you're not precious about yourself then I think there's something amazing about an inclusive experience uh, whatever the art form so I think be inclusive and just be just embrace and, 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 and trust trust your audience I think is a big part of that as well you know and something I really learned was like, trust the intelligence of your audience. Like, if you if you try and write something or perform something or do something that's like, you're you're trying to pitch something that's gonna sell or you're trying to pitch something that's gonna be this type of humor. I think you're missing the point. I think like my feeling after doing the show, especially writing the sketch comedy stuff, is like. Trying to dumb it down is a, is a waste of time. Like, go, cra- be a lunatic again. Like, go crazy highbrow or go crazy mad or go wherever you want to go with that because generally the people in the room will go with it and if they don't, it doesn't matter, you know? And especially in the format that we run, in five minutes that sketch is over and then there might be a sketch that's 
totally different that might you might be able to connect with but i think just trust that people are intelligent enough to go with it and you know like i have a sketch that i, I really enjoyed writing which is it's Werner herzog doing a documentary about scangers in dublin and like there's some fairly primitive basic jokes in it but also like if you don't know Werner herzog it doesn't really matter but if you do and you love him as a german director there's probably added things that you might dig in that or even like there's you know there's other bits and pieces to it so i think like on that level i do like that idea of so they're kind of contradictory thoughts i suppose in some ways where i'm saying be inclusive but also then aim high where you may not always hit the audience but i think as long as you make everyone feel like i'm not trying to talk above you and i'm not trying to talk down at you or anything like that then i think there is an experience there that comes out of it and, and you have something something different and yeah, something yeah. special do you know what i mean yeah no that makes perfect sense um so that's that's the be inclusive one let's see um the third thing i think i I was trying to come up with a way to describe this i think the only way i can describe it is be be cool or be nice um and that sounds a bit weak but it's i i didn't want to say don't be a dick but in my experience all of the really special people who I've met in in the world of music or poetry or comedy or anything in the arts are generally good people who just want to understand and get a, a room with people who are willing to listen to what they have to say or what they want to do or is it a painting or whatever and generally I find that my approach has been just be nice to people and be cool with them and engage with them on a level and if they say no that's fine I'll be cool with that or not and I find like it's that kind of like I know this sounds kind of mad but it's like there is no hierarchy and there is no sort of difference between any artist really as long as you just approach them and say look I have this thing we'd love you to be a part of it and generally in my experience people have said yeah I'd love to be a part of it that sounds that sounds like fun yeah. you know yeah. um, and, and why should there be a hierarchy but I mean you know don't be a dick are my terms and conditions generally <laughs> you know what I mean like I, I think there's an awful lot of people who sort of perhaps get a certain amount of self-importance around themselves as well. And I have to say, one of the most, most interesting things that has developed in Dublin particularly, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but you'd, you'd probably attest to this, is just that there are a lot of talented people who are still here Absolutely. in Ireland. Absolutely. And they're, they're like, they're world class. And they're all very committed to actually supporting each other. And I think they're very committed to actually showing and helping and like the, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing as well. I think the show that you go, you guys do is very much a part of that. And, and I'd like to think we're in the same tradition as well of just saying like, you know, all this stuff about the, the brain drain and, and all our best people are gone and all of that is very tough on those of us who'd like to think we're doing good stuff in Ireland. Do you know what I mean? And so uh, I guess the one thing I'd say is like, not only, you know, there, there, there's loads of cool stuff happening here and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's exciting time, actually, yeah. as, 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 as tough as it might be for a lot of people as well, you know? Yeah. Okay, uh, so my tip number four, my four, number four thing um, is, I guess, from the, more from the creative side as opposed to the curation side. I guess all of them fall under both, but um, this one's about being specific. Um, and what I mean is, any time I've ever written anything that I'm proud of or that has made a connection, like a deep connection with an audience, is when I wrote something really 
really specific about my life. Uh, so I'm thinking of, for example, I wrote a show, a spoken word show with um, two other poets who you've had on on the podcast, uh, Stephen James Smith and Colm Keegan. And we wrote this show called Three Men Talking About Things They Kind of Know About. And it's a spoken word show. So it's kind of three interweaving monologues in verse, uh, which, as you can imagine, is probably a fairly hard sell, right? <laughs> like three poetry monologues. Yeah, OK. Um, and we called it, uh, like I said, Three Men Talking About Things They Kind of Know About, which is a relatively whimsical title for what's actually a fairly serious uh, show. And what we really did was we, we tried to pinpoint like the big milestones in our lives and kind of how the fulcrum of everything that we've done kind of maybe shifted from that moment and where we've been. And so the stuff I wrote about was very specifically about, about losing my parents to illness at different points in my life. And like on the face of it, that can be quite maudlin and sentimental. Um, but uh, luckily enough, we had a really good director as well on board, Sarah Brennan. But what, what ended up being so interesting about that was it was very much about something very specific in my life or two very specific parts of my life. And yet uh, out of that show, any time people would talk to me afterwards, it, they heard their own life in that show. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone's experienced death and everyone's experienced illness and all of those things. And so... Uh, by being more specific you actually end up becoming more universal you know there's like the, the sort of the Joyce thing in the particular is contained the universal and so um, it was actually a, a sort of a guiding principle of that show and I found that as well with with like even uh, anything I've written that, that that's made 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 an impact for me personally where you know where you walk away and go I'm actually pretty happy with that I mean as you well know as well as an artist you're never totally happy with anything right but but you walk away and I, I think being specific actually ends up freeing you a whole lot more you know and i think if you try and write vague generalities about love or whatever they, they they're just banal you know what i mean and i think if you actually and, and even the best love songs or the best breakup songs are actually about a very specific thing that happened to that very person but there's something that everyone can sort of resonate with so for me as a as a guiding principle in what i write from now on it's about that sort of truth or trying to find that truth. Uh, Werner Herzog calls it the ecstatic truth. And, and I like that as well um, because you're trying to get to something deeper in, in, in the answers that you're, that you're looking for. And I think you do find them. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of where I come from when I, when I write. Um, and then I guess my last thing is, um, is be okay with where you are right now. And, what I mean by that is like, I guess I mean it's in your in your artistic existence and in your life. And of course, they're not mutually exclusive things, right? So, for example, I have two kids, I have a job, and I do all of these creative things. And I can, I can do all of those things, and I manage to juggle all of those things. But I also think that it's okay to sometimes feel right today and for the next week or this next month I probably can't get anything majorly creative done and I have to be okay with that and and like even coming to terms with that because you know yourself you have that impulse and that drive to be creative and to want to do stuff and a day where you're not being creative kind of feels like a day you've missed or a day you wasted and to actually be at peace with going at this time in my life that's not something I can always grapple with 
And believe me, especially when you have two kids, it's definitely not something you can dedicate as much time as you did maybe when you were younger. Uh, not to say I'm some old man, but by the same token, it's it's a different dynamic. And I think it's about being okay with the artist that you are and that you're actually absorbing all of these things anyway. And it's that idea of like, this this will appear in in whatever art form I choose to do and, and be that in a sketch or in a poem or you know a screenplay or whatever I choose to write next um, and I think that's something that I think people who are creative struggle with sometimes kind of going like I, I should be doing things or there's a demand on you or an expectation on you to write your next album or to to do this stuff and, and it's actually okay to not be doing that stuff sometimes as well you know um, and even just that idea of then in that moment you have a moment of if I come back to my first thing which is be a lunatic suddenly you're like I'm just going to do a mad thing now. I've, I haven't done anything creative for ages. I'm going to get a bunch of the most brilliant spoken word people I know in Dublin and a brilliant uh, f- festival organiser and we're going to throw on the first ever Irish spoken word festival. Fuck it. That's what we're doing. And then it's that it's, it's, it's going shooting for the moon going, I've no idea how we're going to do that. But you know what? We've said we're going to do it now, so we better do it. And I think that's like those moments bubble up suddenly and it's that moment where you're back in the groove and you can call it writer's block or you can call it whatever it is, but it being okay with it and then going and being a lunatic again and, and, and then the occlusive part. So I guess they all come in, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that's the next thing I'm excited about now, you know, about trying, trying to do that. So um, that's my five things. Brief. What do you think? That last one is devastating. God. It's true though. No, I, I, that's why it resonates. Because um, I, I definitely go through periods where like, you're just crippled by knowing you have things to do and not knowing where to start. Yeah. And, you know, like you've really hit the nail on the head. Like, I, I find that difficult. It's really it's a difficult. really good tip. Yeah. To just be okay with what's, with going, what, on what's going on here and now. Yeah. Because, and I like. It's, and it's, it's really but it's not even like but that's a daily struggle to be okay with it do you know what i mean like i'm going i just need fucking one hour to write that fucking thing yeah but i can't because my kid just puked on the floor and i've got to go to work in the morning i live in the world i I live in the real world (laughs) i've got a i might you know my wife's got to edit the photo she did from the wedding shoot she did last week do you know what i mean like she needs that time too she's creative as well i can't just go well it's my creativity and we're gonna take it you know what i mean like Oh, it's so fucking true. Kind of like, but, um... Oh, if, I, if only I could learn that lesson and apply it. I, that's something I struggle with more than anything. It's like, you know, I always have, like, lots of balls in the air. And, um... And I'm a terrible juggler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I haven't it's mastered really... it either, though. I haven't mastered it. And, like... I think there's something inherently selfish in creative people. Like, I think that's true, right? And I think part of my journey as just a person and then also as a creative person is coming to terms with, like, the need to create versus the need to be in this world in a different way as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, like, I know that sounds ridiculously highfalutin, but that is, like, the reality for me. And, and being cool and all those things i talk about like i'm being good is like that's the thing you have to keep telling yourself like just like 
it's not all about you and it's not all about your art you know what yeah. i mean and, and like those things will happen but you have to you have to connect with other people all the time as well and you realize actually after a while you go oh the art is what's connecting with them and that comes eventually you know what i mean yeah. and, and you have to kind of just just figure that out you know that was Cara Ryan. check out the brown bread mixtape podcast if you get the chance like us it's available on itunes and soundcloud that's it for this week's show. A big thanks to our guests, Cara Ryan, Aaron Fornoff, and Kevin McGarren. Thanks to Ross McCormick and Rory Connolly for their help on sound. And to our sponsors this week, Independence Music and Arts Festival. If you've got a business and you'd like to sponsor the show, drop us a line on theweeklygm at gmail.com and do it quick before we realise just how stupidly low our rates are. Seriously, though, they are unsustainably low. If you're enjoying the show and, I don't know, are feeling a little bit guilty about not having to pay for it, Divest yourself of this guilt by encouraging a friend or three to check out the podcast. Honestly, it would mean a lot to us. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, slash or at The Weekly GM, and our website is theweeklygm.com. We'll be back next week with episode number 14. Talk to you then. <laughs>